We're in the third week of our series uh, called Fight, Defending Our Relationships from All Corners. It's our desire that this series is, is challenging you to take a, a new look at your relationships. Maybe that's a parent-to-child relationship. Maybe that's a sibling relationship. Maybe that's a friend, or, or maybe that's been found in your marriage. We recognize that relationships take work. And the goal of this uh, is that we would stop fighting with one another and start fighting for each other. If you weren't here with us two weeks ago as we opened up this series, we started with conversation um, saying that we've got, to, we've got to go after God. We've got to seek God. That's the first step in, in any uh, way of strengthening your relationships. Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We learn that in the marriage relationship, that couples that pray together, attend church together, and discuss the Bible together have a 99.92% chance of staying together, or you could not do those three things and go back to the 50-50 odds. We need to seek God. We need to pursue God. Then last week, we were challenged with the rules engagement and uh, learning to fight Fair. Last week was all about challenging us in our perspective and recognizing us of uh, recognizing what the fight was against and uh, what the fight's about and how to fight fair. God's word challenged us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and and slow to slow to become angry. When we make these truths a priority, we're going to stop fighting against one another and we're going to start fighting for one another. If, if you didn't catch either of these um, two sermons, let me encourage you to just check, out, check them out on a podcast or go to our website and you can listen to them uh, either in audio form or, or video form. I mean, I'm going to encourage you that I think your relationships, whether, whatever that relationship is, is going to be strengthened if you'll catch those, those two sermons ahead. You know, over the past few weeks, I found myself um, just learning the importance of, of what it means to invest in your relationships. I've caught myself a couple times waking up early in the morning before my wife gets up, and I sit up in bed, and I just kind of sit there and look at her, and I think, boy, isn't she lucky. <laughs> nah, quite the opposite. I'm grateful for my wife, and I think, boy, aren't I lucky. We, we all have conflict. Could I say we all have, have fights? How we fight those battles defines a lot about our relationships. These fights set some precedents. Um, they... they um, they set the, the tone for how we will move along in our relationships. You know, there can be a lot of fun that's had in a relationship. And that happens when we are willing to, to fight fair. We're putting God first. You know, that's why God gave us relationships in the first place. God has created us for companionship. We were created in the image of God. And our God is a God of relationships, so at the heart of mankind is this desire for friendship. It's this desire to, to make others smile and to share adventures together, to make memories, not by oneself, but, but with one another. You see, when fences are mended in friendships, or when family dynamics become stronger after a conflict, some of the best memories and belly laughs happen around the table of, of family and friends. And in a marriage relationship, well, when there has been a difficulty, a struggle, a fight, and you've, you've handled it in the proper way, you've fought for that relationship, and there can be a lot of fun had 
You may know what I'm talking about, that you don't just hug it out at the end of a good fight. Sometimes a little something else happens at the end. The truth is, no matter what relationship, God wants us to experience joy from that connection. To have a good time. He wants us to make memories and to have fun. I want you to think of some of those significant relationships in your life. Maybe it's a friend or a family member. Maybe it's, a, uh, it, it's your spouse. Now, usually when you meet your spouse, it goes something like this. Boy sees girl. Boy likes girl. Girl likes boy. Boy and girl never spend any time together, and boy and girl fall in love. No, it doesn't work like that, right? No, it works like this. Boy sees girl. Boy likes girl. Girl likes boy. Boy and girl spend a, they spend a lot of time together. Boy and girl fall in love. Boy and girl get married. Any relationship that has value takes time. It's difficult to develop a healthy relationship when we don't nurture the time in that. Time is it's like the currency of a relationship. There's no way to invest into your relationship without investing your, your time. Man, I remember when I first realized um, that my wife, Erin, uh, and I, like, I wanted something more than just a friendship with her. Uh, and I remember what it was like when we first started dating. Uh, it was almost as if all of my other friends um, like totally fell to the wayside. I'm like, I, Monday nights, what did I want to do? I wanted to spend time with, with her. And Tuesday nights, I wanted to be with her. Wednesday nights, I wanted to be her, with her. I, I wanted to spend as much time as possible. Think back to when you were maybe a young couple with that significant other of yours. Maybe you talked on the phone until all hours of the night, and then when you couldn't find anything to talk about, you just sat there and listened to each other breathe on the other end of the line. <laughs> Maybe you bought those concert tickets that you couldn't afford and headed down to Nashville to go to his favorite band's concert just so you could spend time together. Maybe you took off work early just so you could meet up with her and you could take her out for a special date to her favorite restaurant. Maybe you drove all the way down to Evansville just because you knew her favorite coffee was going to await her at Starbucks. Or maybe you went to the park and you swung on some swings uh, just because you couldn't find anything else to do, but you weren't ready for the night, that time to be over. You see, the common denominator of the early years of any relationship is time. That's because time has a wonderful way of showing us what really matters. Now, let me ask you this. Let's say I was a fly on the wall in your life over the last week. Or, or somehow or another, I, I placed a, a, a secret camera on you, and I followed you around all week. What would your time have told me this last week? What would it have said was most important to you? Would your time have told, told me that the 65-inch TV gets a majority of your time? Would, would your time have told me that the job, um, the workplace... That's, that's where you like to spend your days. Would your time have told me that the pocket-sized device is the thing that gets the majority of your attention? How would this past week's time define what matters most in your life? You know, we often look back at um, the, uh, the past and we say, those were the good times. You ever used that saying before? Those were the good times. I was in the store the other day, and there was a, an older gentleman in front of me, and he was just like super talkative. It was like he was looking for somebody to talk to, and, and uh, he found this gal in front of him, and she was like trying to leave the store, but he wouldn't let her go. And he was just talking to her about the 1950s and how those were the good, the good times. Uh, I remember back in the day, and these were really, and he was telling her this big, long story. 
We, we say those things because of how we spent our time in those days. We call it the good times because of how we used that time. The author of Ecclesiastes writes of a man he calls the preacher or the teacher, and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he preaches to the necessity of fearing God in a fallen and confusing world. He preaches of the idea of of human beings, um, that we want this understanding. We want to understand how God works, but we cannot because we, we are not God. Often, he refers to life like this, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's what the author says. Meaningless. In the English translation, we really don't get the full understanding of what's being shared here. Uh, the Hebrew term here that is, def- is translated to meaningless in English is actually a word called hevel. So hevel, hevel, everything is, is hevel. Hevel is the Hebrew word for smoke or vapor. It's this idea that, um, that life is temporary and fleeting, that it's an enigma and a paradox. Like smoke, life often appears to be clear and known, good and full of beauty. But just as you try to grab hold of, you ever try to grab hold of smoke? You can't grab it. And just as we think we've grabbed hold of this life and this world and we've got a good understanding, it's as if it vanishes away. You see, this world is full of satisfaction and aggravation. So the more we try to understand this life, the more it becomes a a mystery to us. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in a world full of confusion and questions? We need to press into God. To take shelter in a God that we can respect and understand that why we may not know why it's happening, he does. In chapter 3 of the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this. Everything on earth has its own time and its own season. There's a time for birth and death, planning and reaping, for killing and healing, destroying and building, for crying and laughing, weeping and dancing, for throwing stones and gathering stones, for embracing and parting. There's a time for finding and losing, keeping and giving, for tearing and sowing, listening and speaking. There's also a time for love and hate, for war and peace. What is he saying? He's saying that this world is going to be full of different times. The preacher is not interested in time represented by this ticking of a clock. He's interested in time in moments of happenings, time in a series of events that are are pointing us in different directions, which lends us to the overarching theme here, that we are not in control of time. We're not in control of the seasons of life that we may go through. But we can control how we spend our time. And while our time on this earth will come to an end, no matter your wealth, no matter your power, no matter the status that you have, how you have spent that time will define who you are, how we loved, and whose we are. Ecclesiastes 3 goes on in verse 11 saying this. This is verse 11 of Ecclesiastes. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in human hearts, yet no one can fathom but God, what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. To be happy and to do good. We can be happy. And we can do good 
We can have a lot of good times. Does that mean that we're not going to face hardship? No, not, not at all. But it does mean that we can choose to trust God, who is the one that is in control of time. And we can choose to, to bring honor to him. For God, God wants good for us. He's weaving together this confusion, this mystery, this hevel, this meaninglessness to bring about his purpose. As John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the author of Ecclesiastes unpacks the meaninglessness, the paradox of the world, and he says, enjoy life. God's creation, what's set on display, I set that there for you to enjoy, to find fun, to see his majesty, to receive a glimpse of his glory. But the challenge for mankind is to find joy in the midst of the world that is this enigma, that is this paradox that we won't fully understand. And how can we do that? We have to use our time for the greatest of purposes. Since we fight for our relationships, we've got to start fighting for time. The foundational understanding that Adam was alone. Adam was alone in the garden, and when God saw his loneliness, it was in that moment that God stopped in his creating, and for the first time before sin ever entered the equation, God said it was not good. It was not good for, for man to be alone. So God created, he created woman, because God created us for relationships, and our relationships are meant to be full of fun, not full of fights. They're meant to, to be there to encourage us and challenge us and to move us forward. So Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 through 9 says this, Be happy and enjoy eating and drinking. God decided long ago that this is what you should do. Dress up, comb your hair, look your best. Life is short and you love your wife, so enjoy being with her. This is what you're supposed to do as you struggle through this life on this earth. God wants us to enjoy all relationships. He wants us to fight for those relationships. But maybe the most powerful relationship this side of heaven is found in the marriage covenant of husband and wife. You know, God's word compares the relationship of man and woman to that of Christ and his church. There's some significance that's taking place in the marriage covenant. The term love that is used in the book of Ecclesiastes is a Hebrew term, ahava. It's a two-part word. The first part means to give. The second part means to love. God wants us to give love. And that all depends on how we spend our time because love takes time. That's what I want you to remember this morning. Time. T-I-M-E, right? T-I-M-E. We're going to use that as an acronym, and each of those are going, to, are going to stand for something. Three of the four things you're going to hear this morning can be applied to any relationship. One of them is going to be set aside just for the marriage covenant. You'll know which one that is. The first is this, talk together. Communication is key in relationships. Men, let me say that again. Communication is key in relationships, Right? Last week, my small group was having this conversation around our study of fight fair and the rules of engagement, and we were sitting there talking about how we handle conflict, and uh, one couple spoke up, and they were telling us a story. They said, this past week, we had went up to, they had went up to Indianapolis to look at new countertops for their house, and uh, she said, we got there, and I was looking around, and she said, long story short, I kind of decided on the ones that I thought he liked, but they really weren't the ones I liked, and 
So we left, and she said, I just sat there in the first five, ten minutes in the car, and I just I couldn't help but think we had made the wrong decision. And I think his response to this was, this is what he told me. He said, she could drive four hours all by herself and not have a shortage of conversation. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, we're getting into some real, real deep issues all of a sudden with our small group. And uh, we had a good laugh about this. Um, and he's like, I'm just in my nothing box. I was, I was like, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. If you want to call him back when we get home, we can switch what countertop we got. It's not that big of a deal to me. You know, in typical relationships, um, specifically in typical gender roles, um, where uh, women are typically the communicators. They're usually the ones that that like to sit down and talk uh, more than, than men. And some of you women are like, yes, they are. We are, right? That's how it works. But the truth is both men and women need communication. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at um, the, 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 the second chapter of the book of the Bible. Um, it's on page 2 in the, in the Bible's in front of you. Um, let me tell you this, too, as you're, you're finding your way to Genesis, that here in two weeks, on March the 10th, we're going to be kicking off a series in our, one of our Bible fellowship classes. It's in room 3 during this hour. They're going to go verse by verse through the, study, or through the book of Genesis in their study. And I, if you're like saying, I want to grow in my knowledge of God's word, that'd be a great place for you to find yourself uh, here in two weeks, March the 10th, down in room, in room three. Now we're going to be uh, starting in verse 20, uh, the second portion of this. Now let me just set the scene a little bit. Adam has just spent, he spent some time, it says, naming the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air. I just looked uh, this past week, and they're said to be 8.7 million species in the world. I don't know how much time Adam had spent communicating about what each animal was going to be called, but let's just say he had spent quite a bit of time thinking and communicating. And so he kind of gets done with that day's worth of work, and, and God's like, ah, I got you, Adam. You're lonely. No, no suitable helpers are found in any of these animals. The monkey's not going to work. The cow's not going to work for you. The horse isn't going to work for you. I, gotta, I, gotta, I got something for you. Here we are, Genesis 20, or chapter 2, verse 20. It says, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the, the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from his rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, right? God had, had made this woman to, uh, to communicate and to talk with Adam, to be his helpmate and his supporter. You know, the three most common stressors in a marriage are finances, intimacy, and communication. Communication is about connection. It's about fulfillment in a relationship. Men, you want your wife to know that you love her? that you care about her, take her out on a date, have her sit across from you, look her in the eye, and just have conversation with her. Or, or when she, she begins to talk to you, turn off the TV and turn your attention, get out of the nothing box and show her that you care about what she's saying. One of the most threatening issues to marriages today often is that we administrate them to death. Like We find ourselves only talking when we have to, so we talk about, right, we talk about the bills, and we talk about uh, the schedule for the week. We talk about the, the, the chores that have to be done at the house. You see, what happens in those moments is then the conversation only becomes transactional. Right? I, I have this conversation, we, we've ended it, and all right, let's move on. It's not good 
business. Any great businessman would tell you that the greatest business doesn't actually happen in the boardroom. It happens outside of the boardroom when they gain trust with the partner that they're making a deal with. And I guarantee you men that you did not went over her heart when you began dating her by talking about business. Like you didn't take her out to your favorite restaurant and you said, hey, let's talk about all I have to get done this week and all the chores that have to be accomplished at the house. No, you won over her heart by talking about her dreams and having conversation around fun things that you enjoyed to do together. So you need to open up those those lines of communication. I tell young couples when I do premarital counseling, I have one session that ends with me encouraging them to take time for a date and then to talk about their 10-year vision, like where they see themselves in 10 years. It's always fun because I usually get couples that come back and he's like, well, I was thinking we'd have like five kids by 10 years. And she's like, five kids? What in the heck does this guy think? There's always some sort of big thing that they go, oh, we were thinking differently on this. And and that's always good because we're talking dreams and visions. We're getting to know each other better. It's opening up the lines of communication and being known and knowing the other person. Did you know that someday he wants to hike the the Grand Canyon? Or did you know that someday he hopes to buy a a motorcycle and to travel across country? That's me, right? That's what I want to do. Did you know that she feels cooped up in the house all winter long and the family vacation that you plan for the spring break is something that she looks forward to and means the world to her. Did you know that he feels inadequate as a father? That he doesn't feel like he's that good? And so when he comes home, he usually goes out and finds projects because he feels like that's his way to invest in the family and to do something that's helpful. Did you know that she enjoys it most when you come home and just sit with the kids and play with them? Of anything that turns her on, that turns her on the most. Look, we need to start talking together. We need to listen to one another. We need to ask open-ended questions in all of our relationships. We need to be willing to to volunteer our thoughts and our beliefs and our feelings to one another. You want to start having fun in relationships? Get to know each other a little bit better. The second thing is this. So T stands for talk together. I stands for initiate adventure. You know, last year around this time, we were in a series called The Naked Truth. It was a study through the book Song of Solomon. If you're like going, man, I've just not been able to get enough of this series. We've had a, some, some really great feedback about this series called Fight. If you're saying, I want, I want more, I encourage you to go check out last year's series, The Naked Truth. Um, it's on our website. Um, and you can find um, some other encouragement towards your relationships. In chapter 7, you know, verse 11 of Song of Solomon the woman is speaking to this man, and she says, Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. What, what's she saying there? What, what's happening there? It's saying, go initiate some adventure in your relationships. If the woman, woman is the talker of the relationship, if eye-to-eye, face-to-face contact means the world to her of connecting like that, then men's connection happens in the adventure and sharing a, a, a fun time with their significant other. Men are created for adventure. You just go look at, you look at any boy and girl relationship, uh, you look at them from any age group, and you're going to find that, that men want adventure. Think about it. A toddler, as a toddler, a little girl, she wants her baby doll, right? And she got her baby doll, and she got her baby bottle, and she wrapped them up in a blanket, and she's just fine with the baby doll and, the baby, and pretending that she's, she's the mommy. The boy, on the other hand, has his hot wheel cars, throwing them at his little sister and pretending that they're, they're missiles, right? It's because he wants adventure. 
Or, or as a teenager, the girls are fine with having slumber parties and painting their nails, and boys are fine with jumping off the neighbor's roof into the pool next door in front of all their buddies to see who can make the largest splash, right? Or as adults, women, you like to go out to the coffee shop sometimes and just sit with the girls and talk. And guys, they would rather be out in the field chasing down the biggest trophy buck they can find with rifle in hand, right? Men are created for adventure. Now, that doesn't mean that as a woman you don't want adventure. It just means that, that men like it a little bit crazier, right? There's a book written by John Eldridge um, called Wild at Heart that presents this idea. And he says this. He says, men want, want a battle to fight an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. This is what is written in their hearts. That's what little boys play at. That's what men's movies are about. You just see it. It's undeniable. You know, according to a recent Journal of Men's Health issue, men between the ages of 25 and 34 are four times more likely to die than their woman counterpart because of risky behavior. All right? You women are like, I know. You should see some of the things my husband does. All right? Or did you know this, that men are twice as likely to have an affair? Now, I believe that's the adversary's way of hijacking a relationship, hijacking the way men's minds work and making us seek after adventure. The adventure is had when a man is in pursuit of his woman. And we need to continue to pursue our wives and not allow the adversary to hijack our minds and think that we should pursue something or someone else. So what can you do in any relationship? You can start initiating some more adventure. Go buy the convertible. You know, I know some of you guys are like, see, he told me to buy the convertible, honey, right? Go hiking. Stop going to that same old restaurant that you always go to. Go try something new. Uh, try something that, that changes the palate uh, in, in your, your challenges the palate in your mouth. Go on the cruise, right? Uh, skydive out of a plane. Do something you did when you were dating. Now we're going to have a bunch of couples making out in the parking lot after service, right? Gosh. We need to initiate adventure in our relationships. You go find something that you can do together. You know, women, I know it sounds a little crazy, but you want to have a good conversation, go do something that gets his blood pumping. He'll open up like a little boy in a candy shop to you, right? And, and think about what the 12 disciples must have felt like. Here are these, these 12 men. Jesus has called them to follow them. They're following Jesus around, and they don't have the slightest clue what tomorrow is going to bring. Why did they stick with Jesus for three years? Because there was something adventurous about what was taking place. Adventure is pumping through our veins, so make time to have adventure. You know, according to a Denver a University of Denver study, research shows that uh, couples that have fun together are more likely to be happy. Fun is not a luxury. Fun is a necessity. You want to fight for your relationship? Go have some fun. Go make some, uh, some memories together. And go initiate some adventure. Any relationship can benefit from those first two things, right? Talk time, uh, talk together, and then initiate adventure. Now, this, this, this third one is, is for the marriage relationship, and that's make love. <laughs> what else can you do in your life that, that is going to boost your immune system, that's going to lower your blood pressure, it's going to count as exercise, lower the risk of heart attack, and be linked to reducing stress and not to mention it's fun, right? All right, some of you guys in here, you're like, the doctor said I had high blood pressure. Honey, the doctor said I had high blood pressure. I know how to lower my blood pressure now, right? 
It's a proven fact that couples who are regularly intimate with one another have strong bonds. Actually, it's the body's natural response. Did you know that when we are sexually intimate with our husband or wife, that there is a hormone produced called oxytocin? And oxytocin is the relationship glue. It's a hormone that makes us want to be together. It's the same hormone that, that is pumped out into a woman um, just immediately following the birth of a child. So although she's gone through such horrendous pain in birthing this child, immediately she wants to hold that child close to her. She wants to have this bonding experience because of the oxytocin. That's the same hormone that is pumped out in the sexual experience between husband and wife. Sex in the proper boundaries of marriage can be one of the greatest gifts given to us outside of our salvation. This is a physical representation of the oneness that man and woman are to experience in the marriage covenant. It says it like this in Proverbs 5, verse 18. God says, may your fountains be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Not to mention, it supports the first two areas that we've just talked about. You want your man to open up to you. One of the fastest ways to a man's heart is through... You know what I'm saying. Or talk about the adventure that can be had. In, in Song of Solomon, in that passage that we already read from verse 11, it continues on. I'm going to read to you 11 and 12. It says, Come, my beloved, let us go to the court, si- or the court side, the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. This is the woman talking here. There I will give you my love. You want to know what that's saying in, in like modern English translation? Let's go have sex in the park. That's what it's saying. Now, don't go have sex in the park. You'll get, you'll get arrested, all right? Yeah. Uh, but, but what it is saying is that men can experience one of the greatest adventures. It doesn't have to happen halfway across the world. It can happen right in your own bedroom. You know, the adversary's greatest goal for young couples is to get them in bed before they've made uh, the promises to one another, before they've made their relationship um, holy in God's eyes, um, that they, the adversary's trying to get them to sleep with one another. And then once you're married, the adversary's greatest goal is to get you out of bed with one another, to stop sleeping together. When you turn off the faucet of intimacy, there is a crisis in relationships, Sex is the picture of two becoming one. So as long as you are physically able to be sexually intimate with your significant other, your husband or your wife, then do what the great Nike slogan says. Just do it, all right? Spend time making love, however long or quick it may be. Um, All right, so talk together, initiate adventure, um, make love, and then this one obviously can extend to all relationships, extend grace. You know, extending grace may be the most freeing and powerful act a person can experience. It's been said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. You want to suck the fun out of a relationship that you care about? Go ahead and start holding a grudge. Actually, let me let you in on a little truth if you haven't yet figured this one out. People are going to let you down. Go ahead, look at the person beside you. Look at the people in this room. This room is full of broken and messy people. People, our friends, your children, your coworkers, your spouse, they're going to hurt you. They're going to upset you. They're not always going to make the right decisions. It's just the facts of living in a fallen world. 
But holding a grudge will not make you strong. It'll just make you bitter. Forgiving, extending grace, doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. That's why Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. You see, forgiving yourself and others is about being willing to acknowledge that you are capable of being wounded, but you're not willing to continue to be the victim. You're not going to continue to allow that that person's hurt and harm to destroy you. Instead, you're going to say, I'm not going to make that the defining portion of my relationship. I'm going to extend grace to you and forgive you. Now, I get it. I don't know the hurt that they've caused you. I don't know what that person has done. I don't know what their infidelity or their anger or their pride has caused you. But here's what I do know. And Jesus Christ's greatest desire is to be in relationship with you. Contrary to some people's opinion, God is not sitting aloft, looking down on mankind and thinking, what can I find so that I can justify sending them to hell? Quite the opposite. God has been in pursuit of mankind all along. His greatest desire is to be in relationship with us. So he is fighting for that relationship and not fighting against it. And sin took a knockout punch when Jesus came to this earth and died a sinner's death on the cross. And why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He extended grace even when we did not deserve it. You know, there's an old saying that says, time heals all wounds. Can I call bull on that? <laughs> time does not, does not heal all wounds. No, it's what you do with that time that brings about the healing. And time is one of the greatest gifts to a relationship. The question is, how are you going to fight with that time? Learn to talk together. Learn to initiate adventure. If you're married, make love together and extend grace to one another. And along the way, you're going to have a whole lot of fun.